The scripture reading for today is taken out of the first letter to the Thessalonians. The first letter to the Thessalonians, and we will be reading from chapter 4, the verses 13 to 18. In the liturgy sheet, you may have said, uh, seen chapter 5. That was a mistake on my part. It's chapter 4 the verses 13 to 18. And this is in connection with the uh, Apostles' Creed. So for those who are perhaps joining us for the first time, uh, once on a Sunday, we in the Canadian Reformed Churches will work our way through a portion of our confessions. And our confessions are not on the same level as the Bible, but rather they are a summary of what the Bible says, a a Coles Notes, you might say. And it's very helpful. So the first part of our Heidelberg Catechism deals with the Apostles' Creed. And we've been working our way through it step by step, section by section, and we've come now to the section that deals with the person and work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so we have come to the section on the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And that's why we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the members of the church in Thessalonica. And he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, Brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. With those beautiful words, of God ringing in our ears. We'll now turn to our Heidelberg Catechism, this summary of Scripture, and we'll be looking at Lord's Day 22. And if you have a book of praise, you can find that on page 536 of your book of praise. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul, after this life, immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So far. 
beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how much are you looking forward to the end of this virus? To the time when this call for isolation, for social distancing, for all of that is over. I know that I'm very much looking forward to it. I am very much looking forward to the date when I can see all of you in person again. Because I miss you all. And I know that many of you feel the same way as well. Many of you feel the same way about seeing your brothers and sisters again. This is a hope that will come true. We know that one way or another, this virus will run its course. In the first place, either a cure will come out to treat all who fall ill. Or in the second place, a vaccine will come out to inoculate those who are the most at risk. Or in the third place, eventually this will run its course. It'll run out of people to infect and then we'll get herd, what's called herd immunity, in, which is basically that the virus can't spread anymore because everybody who's around has already had it. One way or another, we know that this will all come to an end. One way or another, Canada, which has been held in the grips of this thing, will slowly come to life again. People will begin to move around again. Face-to-face relationships will be restored again. And 10, 20, 50 years from now, this will be another bump in our history. We'll look at it in the same way that we look at the Spanish flu of 1918 or the Great Depression or the World Wars. However, we know that not everything is necessarily going to be better. Will things go back mostly to the way that they were before? We hope so. But there certainly isn't a guarantee that it will work out that way. In fact, there is almost certain to be an irreversible mark on society. And what that will look like, we're not sure. There was a shift after the Great Depression. There was a shift in society after the World Wars. And there will be an impact after today. Only history will be able to let us know. Even so... Many of us are still looking ahead. Even knowing all of that, we are still looking ahead, eagerly awaiting the day when this life of remaining at home, living in social isolation, communicating via electronics is over. This life. Now let's take a step back and look at this from a different point of view. We want to leave this life of social isolation and step into the next. Because many of us, not all, but many, feel with a fair degree of certainty the comfort of knowing that whatever happens, it's likely to be better than this current life, the way things are right now, being locked in at home and not being able to meet together. And if we take a step back from it and look at it from that point of view, it makes us ask ourselves, how often do we look at the next life 
from that point of view. Not the one where things we return to, we hope, a somewhat normal life, but the one in which we'll possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. A life that is so far beyond this life. How often do we live in light of eternity? How often do we remember the comfort that comes with this beautiful promise when we can see all of our brothers and sisters again face to face, even those who have passed beyond the veil of death? I proclaim to you today the word of God under this theme. Live this life in comfort of the knowledge of the next. We'll see, first of all, a comfort with certainty. The point that's being made in our passage today, as well as our confession, is geared at a particular people. Where do we find this description? Well, if we look at our confession and we consider what it's speaking of, we can see that this is a line from the Apostles' Creed. This is a sentence that's written and confessed by those who believe in the triune God from the days of the early church, who believe in Jesus Christ as having lived, suffered, and died for us, and who confess him as Lord, who now lives and reigns in heaven, and who will return as judge. So this line, this statement, the comfort of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, is not true for everybody. If you are live streaming today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you haven't committed by his grace to him as as Lord of your life, then this is not yet true for you. I don't want to give you false comfort here. But this is true and can be true for you. This is true for anyone who will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And that includes any of you who put your trust in Jesus Christ, even if you haven't done so yet. You can still do so, even here and now, repenting and putting your faith in him. So that's who it's geared at as we come to the Apostles' Creed. But having considered that, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the comfort that we receive? What is the comfort that this world receives? In our passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Greeks in the city of Thessalonica. And the very first thing that he does in this passage is comfort his fellow believers with the knowledge of Christ's coming. And connected to that, he reminds them of the certainty of what Christ's coming means for those of his people who have died among them, those of his people who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, there were those in the Thessalonian church who had hoped that Christ would return in their lifetimes. There were those in the Thessalonian church 
who looked at everything that was happening in the world around them and they saw there, there were troubles in the world all around them and they were praying for the return of Jesus Christ. Many of them were, uh, all of them would have been first generation converts and their children. And they were eagerly looking forward to the day when Christ would return. So when their fellow brothers and sisters began to die, began to die from age and from other causes, this was a reason for a lot of concern for them. And the question that immediately jumped into their minds was, these brothers and sisters who have died, who have passed away, would they miss out on the treasure of Christ's coming? Mixed in with that, many of them were struggling with different ideas that were floating around at the time regarding death and the afterlife, and this added confusion for them. In the first place, you had the Greek society around them, many of whom saw the body as no more than a prison house for the soul. And the idea was that once your soul was released from this mortal flesh, you would truly be free. You see a little bit of that same kind of thinking coming out in our society today. Influenced by Hindu thought, by Eastern mysticism and more, there is this idea that once your body dies, you will go somewhere. Your soul will fly off to a better place. And whether you call that nirvana, heaven, or the new world, it's all the same. It's a good guess. It's a fine hope. And you hope that it's true. But there's no comfort or certainty that came with any of that. In the second place, you had other contemporaries of these Thessalonians and other contemporaries of Jesus Christ in the days of the early church named the Sadducees. And theirs was the idea that there was no afterlife at all. You see very similar thoughts to theirs coming out today in the modern world. This life is all you've got, and when it's over, it's over. You can do what you can to make this life better, and if you believe in God, as the Sadducees did, you obey him, then you can make life better for you in this world, but there's nothing really more beyond that. However, the Apostles' Creed and the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Thessalonians speak of a certainty. Going back to our catechism, we see it described in a twofold way. First of all, we have the comfort of knowing that our soul after this life shall immediately be taken up to Christ. And you can see this coming out in the thief who died beside Jesus on the cross. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross for our sins, had a thief crucified him on the right and on the left. And the thief that was on his one hand, he asked Jesus, he repented of what he was doing, and he asked Jesus, please, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus responded in this way, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. You can see that same kind of hope coming out in verse 14 of our passage here today. Even so, God will bring with him 
If we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. There's a great comfort there that those who pass away go to be with the Lord. And in the second place, we can also have the comfort of knowing that it's not just our soul, but also our flesh that will be resurrected on the last day. In our passage, it says that the dead in Christ will rise first and they will join together with us in the air. And in the book of Job, if we look back towards the Old Testament saints in the book of Job, it also describes how on being raised in our flesh, we will see God. Our flesh will be reunited with our soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Our Lord's Day reminds us. This is to say, our bodies will be glorified. They will be made new. But we will stand in our flesh before God. The same author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, he talks about the difference between our current body and our renewed body being as different as a tent is from a house in his letter to the Corinthians. And so we have a hope and a confidence of what lies ahead with regards to our fleshly bodies as well. There will be no more struggling with sin. There will be no more inclinations to evil. There will be no more sickness or mourning or crying or pain. All of that will be wiped away and a strong, firm, healthy, renewed, and redeemed body will be what we face our Lord with. Death is an inevitability. It's going to happen if our Lord does not return within our lifetimes. Whether it happens sooner or whether it happens later, it will be something that comes to all of us. But you have a comfort in the face, even in the face of all of that. Body and soul, you and I, will be raised. Body and soul, you and I, will see our Redeemer face to face. Verses 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will descend from the heavens with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And what do we find at the very end of all of that? In verse 18, we find the reminder, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now this is important. We have a hope. And we have a promise. And we have this call now to remind ourselves and to remind each other of this hope and this promise. Many of us here today look at this virus, this COVID virus, and we just shrug our shoulders. 
We, of course, take good precautions out of love for our neighbor. We act in such a way that we minimize danger to our neighbor. As we confess in Lord's Day 40, we protect them from harm as much as we can. This is the flip side of the commandment, you shall not murder, that's dealt with in Lord's Day 40. Two sides of the same coin, right? We have the one side of the coin that's the flat command, you shall not murder, but the other side, remembering what Jesus taught us, that there's another side to love our neighbor. How this comes out, we see reflected in our Heidelberg Catechism as well as it, as it summarizes scripture. We are called also to protect them from harm as much as we can. And then we remember what those in authority over us have decided That this is the best way that we can prevent the greatest amount of harm after many uh, many hours of study to those around us. In part uh, of respect for the call of God to obey the government in all things that do not conflict with his word, but especially out of love for neighbor, we follow these guidelines. Those are the two reasons. And for many of us, We do this because of that main reason. Not out of fear for our own lives, because we kind of shrug our shoulders and think, well, you know what? The Lord has laid out all of his hours for me in his book. He's written it all out. And when he wants to take me home, he'll take me home. And if there wasn't this virus, well, then he would use something else to take me home at that point in time. And so for me, That's the comfort that I have. But we do this out of love for our neighbor, making wise decisions, not recklessly endangering ourselves, of course. But we do this mainly out of love for our neighbor. But that's something that I want you to reflect on and think about. That this is the way that many of us in Christ can approach death can approach the fear of death. That our first and foremost motivation is not fear for ourselves. But our first and foremost motivation is able to be now, because of that, love for our neighbor. That being said, in the letter to the Thessalonians, it's not always true for everybody even fellow believers. Many of us can still fear the uncertainty of what will happen between now and death as well and can fear the specter of death. And this can also be something that is natural. And so it's really a beautiful thing that in the face of all that we are given comfort We are given that call, therefore comfort one another with these words. This brings us to our second point, a comfort given by the comforter. It's at this point where the placement of this phrase in the Apostles' Creed becomes important when we're considering the Apostles' Creed. If you remember, this final part of the Apostles' Creed falls under the person and work of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. 
And it's in light of the work of God the Holy Spirit as our comforter that we speak of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He is the one whom Jesus spoke of in those terms. But how does he work this comfort? The Holy Spirit has chosen to work primarily in one way, through the word of God. And he's chosen to minister the word of God to his people through the body of believers that we call the church. We have a special task here. The comforter works through his word. But the comforter also works through people that he uses as instruments to share his word and his promises. And so, comfort one another with these words. There are two things to notice here that are taken for granted in that statement. The first is that there is a need for comfort. There are those among us who need to be reminded of these words. And we ourselves, time and time again, actually also do need to be reminded of these words to be able to hold on to this comfort. And in the second place is the truth that the comfort is there for all who would seek it. He would not say comfort one another with these words if this was a comfortless promise. There is great comfort, rich comfort, found in these words. So what are we called to do in light of this? We are called to remind one another once again of that big picture. We are called to comfort each other with the words of Scripture. And in that vein, we're called to live in Scripture ourselves if we are to be able to bring that comfort to others as we are commanded to here in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. But above all of that, let us take comfort in it ourselves. Here is where Lord's Day 22 of our Heidelberg Catechism stands out from the rest. We did deal with the resurrection from the dead earlier and uh, under the person and work of Jesus Christ and in that place, the benefit of the resurrection was spoken of. But here we find a special focus again, the focus of comfort. Comfort that's granted to us through the Holy Spirit. The comforter. The more and more that we find, that, that, that we seek and find peace and comfort in the knowledge of the life after, bought for us by Jesus Christ, a peace worked in us by the Spirit through the Word, the more and more we will feel in our heart the beginning of this eternal joy, as our catechism says. And that leads to the natural consequence, the natural outpouring of this fact, as it's described in the second half of question and answer 58 of our catechism. Since I now feel already in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I can rest in the comfort and assurance of what follows. 
I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which I can carry out my chief and highest calling for eternity, to praise God forever through work and through life, eternal life in the new world that Jesus has bought for us. And the more and more that we are able to do that ourselves, that we are able to be grounded in that ourselves, the more we are able to be a blessing to others and to share this comfort with others, to share this assurance that we have with those who are around us, with those who need this comfort. And so, beloved in Christ, I urge you today, seek this comfort. It's there. Christ's promise is firm and secure. It's as firm and secure as his resurrection itself. Pray for the Spirit to fill you with joy, even in the midst of uncertainty and sorrow, that even as you grieve deeply, With regards to this world and everything that is happening in this world, you are also able to take comfort in verses 16 to 17 that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let this coronavirus period of isolation be a picture to you of this hope. Let the urgency and the dissatisfaction with the current state of things be a picture for you of this future hope and of the way that things are for you right now. As you wait in hope and as you remain in peace in the comfort that things will eventually change, as you put up for the time being with discomforts of being isolated, socially distanced, and more, with the hope of a future, hold on to that. Rest and trust in these present days, in the words given to us by the Comforter, God the Holy Spirit that promise of resurrection, that promise of a life that lies ahead. Let it fill you with hope and encouragement for what lies beyond. And live this life in the comfort of the knowledge of the rest. Amen.